0: We are continuing this series, uh, Nameless, tonight. Uh, Over the month of June, we've been uh, going with John and Todd on this road road trip to Nameless, Texas. Not a lot in Nameless, Texas, you might be noticing. Uh, But as we've traveled, we've been also looking at some of the nameless people in the Bible and what we can learn from them. Uh, The last couple of weeks, it's what we've learn what to do. There will be weeks where we talk about what not to do uh, next week. Be excited for that. Uh, (laughs) But so far we've talked about the thief on the cross. You remember he he's hanging next to Jesus and he recognizes him. He knows who he is and and he says, Bring me with you. And Jesus says, Today you will be with me in paradise. And he's saved. And then last week we talked about this nameless widow. And she gives the best that she has. She gives her two small copper coins, her offering to God. This week, we're gonna be looking at someone you may or may not know. This is uh, the week we're talking about the cupbearer from Genesis. Uh, and our scripture, I will go ahead and tell you, is a long one. So uh, I wanna go ahead and jump straight into it, but first, let me give us some background uh, so that we can really understand what, what's happening. We, we need to understand the story of Joseph to appreciate what happens in our text. So you remember Joseph from Genesis. He has this beautiful coat of many colors. And it's so beautiful that his brothers get extremely jealous of him. And they get upset and they sell him into slavery. And he ends up in the house of a man named Potiphar. And Potiphar's wife tries to tempt Joseph. Tries to, uh, tr- tries to make advances on him and he rejects her. And that upsets her quite a bit. And so she falsely accuses him of attacking her. And because of this, Joseph is put into prison. And that's where we find Joseph. That's where we're picking up. Joseph is in prison for a crime he didn't commit. So far in his story, so far in Genesis, things have just not gone great for him. He's been sold into slavery. He's been falsely accused of of this terrible crime, and now he's in jail. So let's read. This is Genesis chapter 40, verses one through 14 this is what it says. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker offended their lord, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he waited on them, and they continued for some time in custody. One night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt who were confined in prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own meaning. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house. Why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we had, we've, we've had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God, Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph, and he said to him, In my dreams, there was a vine before me. And on the vine, there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms came out, and and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But remember me when it is well with you. Please do me the kindness to make mention of me to Pharaoh. And so get me out of this place. Okay, so let's review. We have these two men who worked for the king of Egypt. And now they are in prison with Joseph because it says they they had offended Pharaoh somehow. But while they're in jail, they have these these vivid dreams, and and these dreams leave them terrified because they don't know what they mean. So in our scripture, we we, we find this scared, hopeless, uncertain cupbearer. And Joseph comes along, and he offers to interpret uh, this cupbearer's dream. And Joseph gives him really good news. He says that in three days, this man is going to be restored to his office. He'll once again be, uh, be right at the side of the king. He's going to be redeemed, deemed innocent. It's going to be great. Joseph shares this news with him, and then he says, but when that happens, please don't forget about me. <laughs> don't leave me here. Help me get out of this place. Because remember, Joseph is in prison for a crime he didn't commit. Well, if we were to keep reading, and if we walked through the entirety of the story of Joseph, we would be here all night, Uh, But we would also see that that Joseph was right. His predictions came true. And three days later, the cupbearer was back at Pharaoh's side. And if you're reading this, maybe for the first time, you're thinking, okay, great. Finally, something is going to go well for Joseph, this poor guy. His fortunes are are finally shifting. He's going to get out of prison. The cupbearer is going to go talk to Pharaoh and get him out. You may think that, but you'd be wrong. Uh, In fact, the the very last verse of this chapter says, the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. All hope for Joseph seems kind of lost. But then there's this day, two years later, and Pharaoh now has a dream. And just like that baker and just like the cupbearer, he doesn't know what to make of it, and so he's freaked out. And suddenly, this cupbearer remembers Joseph. He remembers this man that he was in prison with, this man who interpreted his dream. And that's where he found himself at that kind of crossroads, the, the type that John and Todd talked about in that video. And so that's what I want us to drill down into, this, this moment, this crossroads. This moment when the cupbearer found himself with two choices. Because I think his two choices are two choices that we face All the time. In this moment, when the Pharaoh had his dream, the cupbearer had two choices, and the first was to do the easy thing. The easy thing for this cupbearer to do was to say nothing. Don't say a word to Pharaoh. That would be the safest play for him by far. By saying nothing, he wouldn't be putting himself at risk, he wouldn't make himself vulnerable. Because think about it, if if he vouched for Joseph, if he told the Pharaoh, yeah, this guy's pretty good at interpreting dreams. I haven't seen him in a couple of years, but bring him in. But if that went wrong, he might end up back in prison. Remember, our scripture says that the baker and the cupbearer somehow offended Pharaoh and he sent him straight to jail. I've never had a loaf of bread that made me want to put somebody in jail. But, But this is This is where we're at. This is the easy thing he could have done. Say nothing. He could do the easy thing. Keep his mouth shut. He'd be totally fine. He'd be able to to live a cush life right at the side of Pharaoh. And on top of all of that, he wouldn't have to face Joseph. Remember, at this point, he left Joseph in jail for two years. Joseph, who was kind to him. Joseph, who our scripture says tended to him, took care of him helped him. Joseph, who pleaded with him, please, when you get out of here, when your good fortune comes, don't forget about me. Help me out, brother. I don't want to be here anymore. And this cupbearer, he would have had plenty of opportunities to do this. At this time, a a cupbearer would have always been at the side of the king of Egypt. He would have had plenty of opportunities to say something, but he never did. So by saying nothing, he wouldn't have to face this man that he left behind in prison. His first option at the crossroads was to do the easy thing. And you know what? That is an option we all get regularly. As I was writing this sermon, I was trying to come up with some illustration for this. And so as I will sometimes do, I asked my wife uh, if she could think of a time when I did the easy thing over the right thing. And she answered instantly like way too quickly, aggressively quickly. But I asked her that. I said, can you think of a time when I did the easy thing? And she said, yeah, every time you cook. And that stung a little bit, but um, she's not entirely wrong. I know what she's saying. We have this ongoing debate in our home uh, uh, because I have a tendency to cook with the heat on as high as it'll go. I've never used medium, ever. Uh, because when I'm cooking, I wanna go fast. I wanna get it done. I don't wanna have to find some perfect medium temperature. I don't wanna have to wait for it to heat up. I, I definitely don't want things to be raw, and so I just crank that bad boy to 10 and get going. And sometimes, occasionally, that works out for me, and I get a perfect sear. But sometimes I severely burn things. That is definitely one of my tendencies. And by sometimes I mean like probably half the time. I've ruined a lot of meals in my life. One summer, uh, a few years ago, I was trying to, to do something nice and, and I, was, uh, I decided I was gonna cook for Hannah's family. And, and so I got all this bratwurst for, for, for the family and, and I offered to be the grill master and, and I turned up the grill as hot as it would go. It was well over 500 degrees. And I started cooking these sausages and in no time they turned to charcoal. Um, Those are sausages, I swear, Um, but they were totally inedible. (laughs) They were truly awful. And to make matters worse, this was the only food that we had in the house. uh, And I used all of it. So I think we ended up like ordering a pizza or something, but still to this day, her family gives me grief about this. Her dad, every time I even walk by the grill, he makes a joke. Um, which maybe is fair, but uh, but look, I know this is a silly thing. I know that burning food is not the same thing as leaving someone in prison for two years. But this is just one small example of my tendency to choose the easy thing. And look, let me tell you, I, for me, and I'm sure for many of us, there are several other examples that I'm not proud of where I've done this. Moments in my life where where I just did what was easiest. I took the path of least resistance. And again, that's what this cupbearer could have done. He could have chosen the easy thing. He could have kept his mouth shut when Pharaoh was worrying about his dream. He could have avoided this man that he had left in jail. But he didn't. He didn't do the easy thing. When he came to that crossroads that they, they were just talking about, he took the other route. He made the other choice and he did the right thing. And so often that's our second option. So often we come to crossroads where we can do the easy thing or we can do the right thing. This cupbearer in our scripture who forgot about Joseph. He knew that Pharaoh had had this dream and finally he felt convicted enough that he ended up telling the king of Egypt about his friend from prison. This is what he says in scripture. He says, today... I'm reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. And each of us had a dream the same night and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. And we told him our dreams and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he had interpreted them to us. Ultimately, the cupbearer took the risk of telling Pharaoh about this young Hebrew he met in prison. And Pharaoh trusted him, and he sent for Joseph. And when he did, Joseph tells Pharaoh that his dream means that Egypt is going to experience seven years of of great abundance, seven years of plenty, and then right afterwards, seven years of famine. And all of that leads Pharaoh to give Joseph this position of leadership. He's not only out of jail, he's now uh, in a position of power. And Joseph makes sure that, that during those seven years of abundance, when they have plenty, they store up for the famine. And because of all that, when the famine eventually came, Joseph's brothers came into town. They were looking for food. And, and the story goes that eventually they're reunited and reconciled with this brother of theirs, Joseph, who they'd sold into slavery. Look, I recognize that we cannot get through the entire story of Joseph. It takes up a very large portion of Genesis. And so we can't understand every detail, but but here's the point. The story of Joseph has all of these amazing parts. Joseph's family is, is reconciled. There's healing for this family. The Egyptians survive this great famine. Lives are saved. But none of it would have happened if this cupbearer had chosen the easy thing. It only happened because he chose the right thing. When he found himself at at this crossroads, unsure of how it would all play out, unsure if, if Joseph would hate him for forgetting him all those years, he still chose to do what was right. He remembered his old friend. He admitted his mistake. He says, today I'm reminded of my shortcomings. I have far too many days where I say that. For two years, he didn't say a word. Maybe he really did forget. Maybe he was too afraid. Maybe he was too worried he would end up back in prison. Maybe he just didn't even care. We don't know. But what we do know is that after two years, he did the right thing over the easy thing. And you know what? As simple as that may sound, it matters. As simple as that may sound, it changed everything. The great lesson of the cupbearer, the lesson that I hope we will remember, and if you hear nothing else from this sermon, hear this. The great lesson of the cupbearer is that it is never too late to do the right thing. It's never too late to do what's right. You know, we've all come to those crossroads before, and we've probably all had those moments where we think, you know what? The moment's past. It is too late to right my wrong. There's nothing I can do. The cupbearer could have thought like that, but thank goodness he didn't. It reminds me of a, a great story I heard on uh, Dallas Sports Radio a few weeks ago uh, about a man named Mike Flint. Uh, Mike was a longtime strength and conditioning coach for some of the largest uh, college football programs in the nation. He was a uh, coach for the University of Nebraska, for Oregon, uh, for Texas A&M. Even though it's hard for me to say that's a great football program, but uh, woo pig. Anyway, Mike grew up playing football and eventually he was from West Texas. He got a scholarship to go to Seoul Ross State University in Alpine, uh, way out there. But Mike was one of the stars of the team. Uh, He was team captain. He was an all-conference linebacker. He was the leading tackler on the team as a junior. That year, the the Lobos went eight and four. They just missed the conference title. And so the stage was set for Mike to have this amazing, incredible senior season. They had a great shot of, of winning it all. Well, going into his senior year, there was this one night that his coach called him and uh, asked him to go deal with some rowdy freshman football players. They were out past curfew and Mike was the captain and so he wanted him to go deal with it. Well anyway, one thing led to another and Mike and one of these freshmen got in a fist fight. It got physical and this freshman got hurt. And so the very next day, Mike Flint got expelled from the football team and expelled from the university. Well he moved to Austin after that and uh, eventually found his way to coaching but but for years, for decades, he, he said that missing his senior season because of that fight was the biggest regret of his life. Well, fast forward, 40 years later, Mike is at an alumni reunion with some old buddies, and he's talking about this, about how much he regrets this fight he got in, how much he regrets missing that, that senior season. And jokingly, one of his buddies says, well, why don't you go and try out for the team? And at first they all laughed. But the more he thought about it, the more Mike realized that that's exactly what he needed to do. And so at 59 years old, Mike Flint tried out for the team, and he made it. Uh, In fact, he benched more than any of the rest of those guys. Uh, At 59, he became the oldest non-kicker to ever play college football. Well, I was listening to to Mike tell this story on a Christian podcast this week uh, and and I want to share something he said. This is what he said uh, during that interview. He said, I wanted to walk on as a linebacker and help a bunch of young men I didn't even know. For me, it would make up for all of those men that I let down all those years ago. From a spiritual standpoint, every day was such a blessing. God allowed me to create relationships with those young men and to pour into them. Mike played nine out of the 12 games that season, and he went, uh, he went on to write a book called The Senior, which is just a fantastic book title. Uh, but I love this story, and I had to share it with you all today because it would have been so easy for Mike to just throw up his hands and say it was too late. Just say that was a mistake I made, there's nothing I can do, just bury it, forget about it. It would've been easy, but for Mike, the easy thing wasn't the right thing. And so he went back, and in his own way, by pouring into these young men, he made it right. He used that truly senior season to encourage and to minister to and to play alongside football players that were, were literally a third of his age. See, Mike Flint is a, is a living testament to the fact that it is never too late to do the right thing. And again, as as simple as that premise may seem for us tonight, I think it's one we've gotta be reminded of often. That sometimes living Christ-like lives is just as simple as just trying to do the right thing over the easy thing. It's just trying to do good. Uh, You know, this week is, is, uh, Father's Day and and I've been thinking a lot about the men in my life who have poured into me Especially as I read this great story about Mike Flint I've been thinking about men like him who've, who chose to do the right thing over the easy thing uh, And so I've been thinking about people in my life like that like my own dad who I have seen uh, many times Do the hard things but the right things Who I've seen many times choose the integrity move even when there are hard consequences and I've also been thinking about my grandfather, Don Roberts. Uh, my grandfather was the superintendent of schools for many years in Fort Worth, and he was also superintendent of schools in Little Rock. And, uh, and he had this motto that he would say all of the time. He would always say, uh, always do the right thing. Always do the right thing. Well, several years ago, uh, he had a school, an elementary school in Little Rock named after him. It was this amazing honor, Don R. Roberts Elementary. And they took on that motto of his, and they use it all over the school. It's embossed on the side of the building. It's really beautiful. Um, they even have it on t-shirts. But I just love those simple words. And again, they are simple words. This is, this is a, maybe a simple concept for tonight, but um, always do the right thing. Look, maybe we don't always know what the right thing is in the moment. But if we have that spirit of always trying to do the right thing, that means that we can always revisit our choices. We can always go back and look and say, how can I make my wrong turns right? I think that's what the cupbearer did. Yes, he waited two years. Two years, he chose what was easy. But you know what? Eventually he chose what was right. And so my simple prayer for us tonight is that we would do the same that we'll try and be like my grandfather, like Mike Flint, like this cupbearer. Let's choose the right thing over the easy thing. And whether it's been two years or 40 years, let's know that we can always, we can always do what is right. Hallelujah. Amen. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you so much for, uh, for your kindness and for your grace and for your forgiveness because Lord, we, we are an imperfect people. We have made plenty of mistakes before. Sometimes we've, we've waited two years. Sometimes we've waited 40. God, maybe we're still waiting tonight. Maybe we feel like our moment is past and there's just no way to fix something that was broken a long time ago. But God, remind us that we can always find ways to make our mistakes into our ministry. Lord, when we are tempted to do the easy thing, when we are tempted to take the shortcuts, to step on others to get where we need to go, God, remind us that 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 is not who you are and that is not who you call us to be. Lord, help us to take on the challenge that is being a follower of Christ, to do the right thing, to stand up for the right things. Lord, guide us. And if there's something on our heart, something on our minds right now, Lord, lead us in the process of healing. Lead us in the process of reconciliation. Lead us in the process of, of making it into our ministry, of, of turning it for good, because that's what you do. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss new releases. We'll have new podcasts coming out all the time. Be sure to check us out online at whiteschapelumc.com. Please download the WC Life app and follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things WC.